Welcome to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and Owner of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. And with me today is one of my associates, Kyle Ryan, also a Certified Financial Planner, as well as a Chartered Financial Consultant. Thank you for joining me again. Yep, thanks for having me. So we are on the third of three episodes that's talking about life insurance. Uh, life insurance is an important component of overall financial planning because it is one of the components of risk management, okay? Nobody plans to die, but what we need to do is we ought to have, in many cases, life insurance in order to protect our loved ones in the event that we die, okay? So the episodes that we talked about before were, again, the difference between term insurance, the types of term insurance, permanent insurance, the types of permanent insurance, and now the question is design of my insurance portfolio, if you will. What type of insurance should I get? How much insurance should I get? How long should my insurance be? And of course, the answer to that goes with the answer to every financial planning question is? It depends. It depends, okay? So coming from the wise guy, always it depends. It sounds like a wise answer, which it is, but it's not, because everything you do in financial planning is, it depends. So we're going to take some time to go into detail on the different types of insurance and the design of life insurance for yourself. You ready to kick off? Let's do it. All right, cool. All right, so once again, the uses of life insurance, term or permanent, okay? So term insurance is if one doesn't have the budget and wants a lot of insurance for as little of a cost, then that's the perfect situation for you. Who is that good for? It's typically for the young couple who has a child and now all of a sudden they're relying on both parents. If one of the parents were to die without life insurance, that would be seriously problematic. If you really think about fundamentally what is the purpose of life insurance, the purpose of life insurance is to protect my loved ones and my dependents if I'm no longer bringing home a paycheck. Correct, and that's okay. what the term is best for. Correct, yep. absolutely. So my ability to not bring home a paycheck, you got disability if I'm disabled, but we're talking about life insurance. Yes. Okay, this disability is tougher because you still got to feed me. Okay, <laughs> all right, but the life insurance for sure. So those people who want the most bang for their buck will get term. Yep. Okay, then the question is do they get the group term or do they get term on the outside? And the answer to that is it depends. It depends. Yeah. Okay, and it depends on goals and objectives. Okay, everything makes it depends on the goals and objectives, but as we pointed out in the first episode, one of the most important issues associated with group term is it's guaranteed insurable. Yes. Okay, so if I'm 350 pounds with heart conditions and um, diabetes and cancer and you name it, 
you could bet bottom dollar I am not getting life insurance on the outside. Yeah. And if I am, the insurance premiums are going to be so high I'm going to want to jump off a bridge. <laughs> okay? So um, that is a situation where a person who has group term may say, I can't get it on the outside. Yep. Now, the other thing about group term, which we didn't talk about, is a lot of times when you get group term, the company offers you group term, they're going to give you one-time salary, and if you wanted to buy a second-time salary, you buy it out of your paycheck. And oftentimes, they'll give you up to, the ability to buy up to five times. Yep. However, they concern themselves or the insurance companies protect themselves from me saying, hey man, I've got all these issues. I want to immediately buy six times. Oftentimes what they'll do is they'll say, you're allowed to buy one times more without having to prove evidence of insurability. Yeah. So the first year I may be able to buy up one times insurance and then the next year I can buy it up to two times, the following year three times and four times, okay? Hopefully I live that long, mm -hmm. right? But if I am in better than expected health, yeah. and certainly uncertain, all right, go figure that one out. I am uncertain as to whether I'm gonna be with a particular employer in perpetuity, or you, you have no control over whether the employer decides uh, I don't want to offer it anymore. Regardless of the employer, you could just be able to get cheaper insurance for a longer period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, which is what we talked about in the first episode. Yep. So the other thing, too, is that because a lot of your term insurance policies are defined periods of time, 10-year term, 15, 20, 30, is it enables you to pick a date out in the future to say, hey, look, you know, I want insurance to cover me until here. When okay. my mortgage is up, when I start getting social security, Correct. it could be so many different Correct. things. Correct. So, so we're going to talk about that yes. more in a little bit, but basically the times with which your um, insurance need is reduced is when you have life event changes, yep. right? And we're going to talk more about that a little bit down the pike. As far as permanent insurance, okay, you may select permanent insurance because you say, hey, look, you know, we have estate planning issues that we need to deal with. Okay, we got that $10 million estate that is illiquid. Yep. Okay, and I have no other liquid assets. What are my children going to do to pay for the estate taxes? I don't want to be selling the farm or the business on a fire sale. Yep. Okay, so I'll go out and buy life insurance that's permanent because it's not if I die within the next 20 years, it's when I die. Okay. Second time people will use it is that they want to say, hey, look, you know what? I want to leave $100,000 to my kids, no matter what happens. Okay, fine. So what they'll do is they'll take and do a permanent insurance policy that pays $100,000 when they die, period, end of report. Okay? I've also used it, not I personally use it, let me rephrase. I've seen it for supplemental retirement planning. Now, this here again is, you don't see this work often, okay? And I'm being very cautious when I say <laughs> that. I've seen it used, but I've never seen it used properly. 
that it really works. Yeah. So, if you want to use your insurance policy as an investment, then you need to design it right. To the point that you made in one of the previous episodes, it's like a bucket that has a hole in it. Yep. Okay? So if you compare a life insurance policy to any other investment that has tax advantages, and we'll use the Roth IRA because in the case of a life insurance policy, the life insurance death benefit proceeds are tax-free. So we'll compare that to a Roth IRA where the proceeds are tax-free. The difference between the investments inside a Roth IRA and those inside a life insurance policy are you have to pay for the silly costs of, of the life insurance. So if I have a $100,000 life insurance policy and I'm paying for the insurance, then what I want to do is I want to make that insurance be as small as possible compared to the investment. Yep. And it's remarkable how few people do it right. What they'll do is they'll put $1,000 in, but they could have put $10,000 in. Well, I'm not suggesting you put $10,000 in, but if you're using this as an investment, then reduce the amount of insurance so that you're maximizing the amount of money that goes into the insurance policy so that what happens is that the amount of insurance represents a very small drag to the, to the growth of the investments. Yep. And that goes with anything. You don't want massive costs going against your investment because it'll put a drag on your long-term investment returns. But if done right, one could build and structure a life insurance policy as a supplemental retirement plan if, and it makes sense if, they're in a high income tax bracket on top yes. of it. Yep. So what'll happen is that someone will build a life insurance policy, pound the daylights out of the cash value, maximizing it so that it's building a cash value so that at the time of retirement, and it may be prior to age 59 and a half when they can't access their retirement assets without penalty, yep. okay? What this does, or if they have high income from other reasons, okay, what this does is it enables the insured to be able to access the cash value from the insurance policy that all these years was growing tax deferred. And again, if structured properly, then the hole in the bucket all along the way is at its smallest. Yep. And secondarily, is the amount of money that's in the policy is large enough that it makes a difference for the account owner taking the money out and doing it in such a manner that they're maximizing tax efficiency during the life of the policy. It has to be monitored really closely because if, it, if the amount of insurance you're paying for, like you mentioned in the last episode, is too little, it becomes a modified endowment contract, then all of a sudden the tax incentive you had is gone. Oh, way gone. Yeah. Way gone. So, you know, so these types of policies, okay, um, again, in my opinion, as a recovering engineer <laughs> and who thinks and analyzes the daylight side of things, um, they generally don't work for the, for the mainstream population. 
you know, and, and people ask me, hey, you know what, someone suggested that I do this. And my comment to them is, what I have found is that these make the most sense for people who have money spilling out of their pockets. They've maximized their 401k, they've maximized their other retirement plans, they've maximized all of their retirement plans, but they still have an enormous amount of money spilling out of their pockets that they're trying to invest in a tax-advantaged manner. And Mr. and Mrs. Client, I don't see a trail of bills between you and the door since you entered. So I have found that these particular types have a tendency to be very few and far between really working, yep. okay? And you know, one of the things that, that I always like to detach myself from an insurance salesman, okay? Um, they get a bad rap, but then again, they marry very well, have earned it, okay? Is that the person who is selling a life insurance policy, if they sell you a policy, basically their commission for a permanent insurance policy is your first year of premiums that you're paying. As opposed to a term policy, it's a percentage of the first year of premiums. So for instance, if I took someone who is 33 years old and they got a $100,000 20-year term policy, they might be paying $100 a year. I might get paid 70% of that 100 bucks, <laughs> 70 bucks, Yep. okay? Quite frankly, that's for the effort of doing it. Yep. However, if he's contributing to a whole life policy where it's $2,000 a year, the insurance agent gets probably about $2,000 in commission. Yep. So if you're ever dealing with life insurance, just make sure that the person selling you the insurance policy is acting in a fiduciary manner and not trying to create a life insurance sale for themselves. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to break and we're gonna talk about a little bit more as, as it pertains to the design of the insurance policy. So please stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Menninger, founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner with one of my associates, Kyle Ryan, who's also a CFP as well as a chartered financial consultant. Um, this is the third of three episodes that we're talking about life insurance, where we talked about life insurance, uh, you know, 
whole life, or sorry, permanent versus term, when you use what. So here comes the best part, quite frankly, is how do we design it, okay? The design of insurance is very important. So it all falls as part of the financial plan, okay? Recognizing also that the purpose, the main purpose of insurance, if you're looking at it for the death benefit, is if I die. And we're gonna go on that premise for the design. Because the permanent insurance, you would use that for estate planning, legacy planning, or those types of things. But now let's talk about it at the core, okay? How much do I need? We hear that all the time. There is a rule of thumb. If you think about what the purpose of life insurance is supposed to do, is it supposed to replace your income? The rule of thumb, which thinks, is between five and 10 times your income. Well, okay, so let's elaborate on that. Is it the same for a 60-year-old who has $200,000 worth of income, who's got a beautiful net worth, a sizable 401k, no mortgage, and his vacation home, he's got a pension, Yep. okay? 10 times 200,000 is two million, okay? What do you need a $2 million policy for? Exactly, okay? <laughs> yeah. On the contrary, you got a 33-year-old who makes 200,000, okay? They got a $500,000 mortgage, two children, and a wife who doesn't work. Yep. Who do you think needs more insurance? I would think the person right. <laughs> with the kids right. and dependents. And, and, and do you think that the five to 10 times makes sense? No, that's why rules of thumbs are right. simply that. Right, exactly. So the question then becomes, how do you design it? Well, first of all, as we talked about, the use of term insurance is the most cost effective to get just the insurance. Whether you're using group term or uh, term outside can also depend on your costs, your, your health, et cetera, et cetera. If you're going on the outside where you're buying a private policy, as we talked about before, the beauty of private policies is that you know when they're gonna end. Yes. Okay, it's defined. So what happens here is if you're 33 years old, you gotta think about when do I want my insurance to carry me through. And the two big hitters are when your children are no longer dependents. Yep. Okay? Because if they're no longer dependents, they're no longer relying on your income. Yep. Furthermore, if you have a spouse who could work but didn't work because she was raising the children, okay, then what it does is at that time, no longer do, are my kids relying on it but my spouse who can go back to work will also be able to survive. Right, survive, yep. okay? The second big one is at retirement. So the 60 year old who's making 200 grand, he retires two years later, we don't need to replace 200 grand, okay? So those are two time horizons with which um, you look at as when am I gonna retire where you're no longer protecting the paycheck and when are my kids going to be out of high school, out of college, that I'm no longer going to need um, the replacement as much? So we've even seen people stagger insurance policies. So 33 years old, he has two children, 
Okay, he may look at it and say, well, you know, I really need a million dollars worth of insurance, but I don't need a million dollars for 30 years. Okay, again, we'll assume that he needs a million. So what he might choose to do is get 20-year term because that's about the time with which his children may be getting out of school. And then also a 30-year term. Okay, well, the 30-year term, because of the way insurance policies work, a 30-year term for a 33-year-old, let's say, he's going to pay the average of all those years between 33 and 63. Okay, and since life insurance costs rise exponentially, what's going to happen is the cost for a 30-year term is going to be substantially more expensive for premiums than a 20-year term because we're having to take in the average of those years between 53 and 63. Yep. So what this does is it enables the, the individual to stagger their insurance. Now there's two, there's other reasons why your insurance need goes down with time. As you pay off debts? As you pay off debts, yep. as your own assets rise. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've been building up retirement plan money, you know, contributing to your 401k, you're paying down your mortgage. You know, by the time you retire, in theory, your cost of living is down because of the fact that you've paid off that and you also have accumulated assets. We run into it a lot of times where clients in their 50s, 60s, they they're, had a 20-year term, they got in their 30s or 40s, it's starting to run out. They're like, okay, let me get another 20-year term just because that's what I had. But you start looking like, do you really need that insurance when you're 75? And you start projecting out what are your debts, what is your assets at that point? And you say, you know, believe it or not, you actually might need less insurance. You might need lower duration insurance. So right. it always just takes that conversation. So they're 55 and someone who's 55 may look at it and say, hey, you know what? I only really need insurance for five years. Yeah, my kids Shortest. are getting through college right, right. now. You know? I'm retiring in a few years. Yeah. What the heck, you know? So what you might do then is say, hey, look, you know what? I'll get annual renewable term, okay? Because then you're paying based on the cost of a 55-year-old, then next year it's 56, 57, or if you feel as though your company is, um, you know, it's a big company, they're not gonna change their benefits programs, and or you have problems with medical issues, you may now fall back to your other term, uh, to your group term. Yes. The other thing that we didn't talk about is a lot of term policies also have provisions that allow you to convert to a permanent policy at some point before the policy expires. Yep. That could be a way with which one could do it. We had this happen to us not too long ago that at the end of the 20 year term, they wanted to go out and get another policy and they waited until after 20, come to find out they had underlying issues that they didn't know about. Yep. Okay, had that individual converted from the term to permanent at the end of the 20 years, they may have been able to take a universal life, structure it in such a way that they made the minimum amount of payments to at least continue the insurance for another three to five to seven years, whatever the case may be. So the other thing is coordinating with Social Security. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, what might happen here, and this is the next slide, so how much do I need? Well, this goes with an endpoint, okay? Little known is if I die, my spouse can collect 
71.5% of my full retirement age, Social Security, at her age 60. Yep. So what I might target, as long as my kids are out of school, which they are, they're no longer dependents, what I might target is my spouse's age 60. Yep. Because at that, it's at that point that she would be able to begin to collect mine, letting hers grow, letting hers grow to age 70, which once again is a little known rule when it comes to Social Security, and it's a way to maximize benefits. We've got shows on that, but that's another thing that you coordinate with. Now, if you're looking at how much, okay, there are two approaches to calculating life insurance needs. They've got the capital approach and the income approach, okay? Well, the income approach is, hey, I'll make $200,000 a year. Well, not really make $200,000 a year. How much income am I really making? Because you've got to figure about a quarter to a third of it is going to taxes. So if we look at it and say, all right, if my take-home pay is, say, $10,000 a month, just pick that, how much money do I need to have in the bank, the bank, to produce the amount of money to provide cash flow to replace my income loss? Yep. Okay. When you're using that, you do need to think about other sources of income. Those other sources of income could be Social Security, okay, as we pointed out. Now, that's the surviving spouse's Social Security. There's also, if I die prematurely with young children, my children will also receive Social Security until they turn 18, and my spouse caring for the children will receive until they turn 16, which means there's sources of income coming into the household, which actually you factor that in for income. If we're trying to replace my 10,000, but my Social Security is picking up 4,000 of it, then we're only really replacing 6,000. Yep. And then what you do is you can also model it out over time so let's say that my spouse would be receiving it until she turns 53, but then we know that she would be able to get it at 60, then we model how much my income is being replaced during all of this time. Yep. Now, one thing that needs to be considered is, okay, so you replaced my income, but what you didn't replace is my contributions to my retirement plan. Correct. So that's something to also take into consideration. So that's the one approach. The other approach, is the capital approach. The capital approach goes hand in hand a little bit with the income approach in that how much money do I need to be able to produce that income? But secondarily, it may be, hey, you know what? How much income do I need? Because I want to I want to sock away $200,000 for each of my three children for college. Bam, they're 600 grand, okay? And I want to sock away enough to be able to pay off the mortgage. And I got a $300,000 mortgage, bang. I'm at 900,000 already. And then I want to sock away another however much to be able to provide for my surviving spouse. So next thing you know, you're at a million and a half, two million dollars. There's nothing wrong with that method. Okay, but personally, I like the hybrid. Yes, absolutely. Okay, because what you might look at is say, hey, you know what? I want to sock enough money away to cover the kid's education, but not necessarily all of it because if they're the parent of a surviving spouse, they may be able to get some level of financial aid, yep. okay? Um, I may not pay off the mortgage, 
why would I pay off a $200,000 mortgage that's sitting at 2.5%? <laughs> okay? Yep. So what we might want to do is take a look at replacing the income needs for that mortgage. So basically, that really then comes down to the comprehensive and holistic financial planning to be able to develop how much insurance that you need and different time horizons. And we've done it. In fact, I did it for myself. I have different term insurances of different amounts because they're each slightly different goals and objectives when I got the policies. You wrote something down, the, so something we've got to wrap up. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add is if you're buying insurance, just always be aware of breakpoints within Break insurance points. That's policies. That's a good point. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So what I found with term insurance policies is that the breakpoint is either going to be at 200 or 250,000 is your first big breakpoint. I've actually had it where I've quoted somebody a $200,000 life insurance policy was actually cheaper than 150 because the price per thousand drops at certain breakpoints. And so that's important to understand because heck, if I'm paying $1,000 a year for uh, uh, $150,000 policy, but I could pay $900 for $200,000 policy. <laughs> Seems like a no-brainer, right? It does, yeah. So, anyway, a lot that goes into it. We strongly encourage, do not be underinsured. How many times do you, nobody's ever overinsured if some event happens, but we see it all too often that clients, it changes the lives of the surviving spouse and family members if an individual is underinsured. So uh, we encourage that you speak to your financial advisor uh, as well as really not go haphazard at the selection of your insurance policies. You want to really go into it knowing and thinking, what do I really need the insurance, want the insurance for, and take your surviving spouse. They're the ones who have to live with it. So uh, thank you for joining. Um, hope you learned something from this three-part episode on uh, life insurance and life insurance planning. Thank you, Kyle, for joining. And um, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Financial Planning Explained. Signing out as your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. You have a great day and week. Thank you for joining us.